0: Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Are you going to trick or treat this Halloween? Mostly
1: trick, but there might be a few treats. Hmm, ghoulish. Coming to you almost live from Edmonton's Pet cemetery. this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your spooky hosts. Ooh. Normally we do more than one episode a month. Yes. This month is an exception because we've both been exceptionally busy. There was also Thanksgiving. There, that put a crimp in our plans because Adam was driving to Saskatchewan for that to That's spend right. time with family. And then I have my wedding, also going to take up a bunch of time. So we only have the one episode this month, and we apologize. Yeah, it's, But yeah. it's going to be awesome, because it is our yearly Halloween special. That's right. And
0: uh, continuing the theme of having wi- uh, lady guests on the show, apparently this is all we've done since we started our third Which season. Which is fantastic,
1: because we had had a serious dearth of lady guests yeah.
0: prior. Yeah, we've, uh, we got in touch with uh, a young lady named Stephanie Sparks. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, and Stephanie knows all about vampires.
2: I like to think I do.
0: She has written-
2: My 12 year old self thinks she did. (laughs) Literally a book
0: on vampires. You've written not the book, but a book. A book, not the book. Sure. And uh, tell us what it's called.
2: It's called Bloodsuckers. Um, It's about a young girl who is, well, she's not really young. She's 18. And she's kind of one of those wild child girls who ends up getting stalked by this gentleman who ends up becoming a vampire. And then ends up stalking her as a vampire, and the hijinks that ensue following that. So,
0: hijinks from stalking.
2: Yeah, I think that they're was. Not, the they're not funny of, hijinks. No, no,
0: <laughs> I wouldn't think. Unlike Twilight, in which they are. Yeah,
2: yeah those are hijinks.
0: Sparkling hilarious vampire hijinks. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very serious uh, storyline.
2: Yeah, I'd say it's more serious.
0: Is it a uh, young adult audience or is it uh, mainstream? It's more
2: mainstream, <laughs> like it's very broad. Um, it's kind of. When I started writing it, well, I was 12 when I started writing it, so this is kind of like one of those incarnations after, like, 10, tw- you know, 15 years. It finally came to this point where, okay, this is the storyline that makes sense. Um, and I always kind of fashion it after the 1980s style of vampire movies where nobody takes anything that seriously. It's yeah. just, here's a scary situation, but the characters are kind of okay with it because it's just a vampire, so.
0: So it's, uh, it's uh, normal that a vampire exists in this universe?
2: It's not normal, but it's surprising. Huh. Ah. And the fear of this vampire kind of makes it a little less um, surprising, I guess. Hmm.
0: Compelling. <laughs> Very compelling. So you're 12 years old. You, In your mind, you have a story idea and that you know you want to turn into a book?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess it was. Like, it's, you know, my grade 6 teacher gave us this assignment, which was, do a choose-your-own-adventure. Cool. So... Almost, you know, when I look back on this story, I, it's almost like I blatantly ripped off Fright Night with the young boys next door to, like, the vampire. I kind <laughs> like of feel
1: like I ripped Night, that off. was thinking Fright Night, actually, when you started uh, mentioning the, uh, the whole, uh, vampires aren't normal, but we're okay with it. Because yeah. it's scary. That's Fright Night. My right brain immediately went to Fright Night. That is so strange.
2: Yeah. It's kind of that 80s feel again. Same with Lost Boys. Oh, there's vampires. And these teenagers happen to fight vampires. Oh, okay. I'll just go with that. <laughs> All so. right.
1: Let's roll with that. Yeah. And, and here we are. <laughs> here
2: we are. So, for, so from the encouragement from that teacher, he sent, he wrote a very glowing, you know, I got 99% on this story. And I got this glowing review on the back bit. It says, you should sell this. This is really great. And ever since then, I'm like, maybe I am supposed to be a writer and maybe I'm supposed to write about vampires because you really like the story about vampires and I really like vampires, so why not? And then I think it just went on from there that I just started developing this other storyline and it's just been building and building and changing and, you know, characters come in, characters leave and, you know, some of them have stayed the same and some of them have changed dras- drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just got to this, you know, June 2010. I just had this latest outline come out and I'm like... <laughs> Just wrote this outline in about ten, twenty minutes, and I'm like, ah, this is stupid, this is another stupid outline of this stupid storyline I'm doing again. So I'll just throw it on the bed. But then for the next week, I was still thinking about it, and I was like, what is holding me back from actually just doing it? Like everybody says, oh, I'm going to write a novel, and people tell me, oh, you're a writer, you can write, and you haven't done your fiction in a while, and I think it just, you know came together and the fact that I for the first time ever I had an outline for a story I don't usually I'm usually that person that flies by the seat of her pants and suddenly I had this whole outline together and I just you know I'll just follow the outline follow the yellow brick road and and in three months I managed to bang out this thing and started working on revisions and
0: Hmm.
2: and then I decided I'm just gonna self-publish it because you know who's gonna buy it it's not you know, it's a vampire story. It's not too original. But if I can at least see it in my hands, I feel like I've done it. And then I, it's it's like a confidence boost to the next step of, you know, pitching it to another publishing house or a literary agent or something. Yes.
1: <laughs> what is the process of self-publishing? Was how did to... you make the book into an actual book? Yeah.
2: I, I'm i not sure how it came about. I I think I just – I read a lot of different – things on Twitter, like different advice on like how to boost your writing. And I saw one for Amazon's Create Space and I thought, well, that sounds kind of cool. So I kind of researched that and I looked into a few others and the fact that you can do it almost for free was very appealing because, you know, I'm trying to save up for a house. I don't have too much money to like be throwing around and going to vanity presses and, you know, vanity press is kind of a turnoff anyways. So, you know, if you go to Amazon, you pay $30 to get this done. It just kind of made sense just to do it and you know I went to a friend and I had her kindly gen- uh, design a cover for me for free which is really nice and the cover looks beautiful and it price sells the book more than I ever could <laughs> and then I went to another friend who's a freelance um, copy editor and substantive editor and I had her review it because sometimes when you write there's a lot of bullshit that gets into it. So it feels really good to have someone overlook it and say, okay, this wouldn't have happened, and this was, you know, this never happened in the 80s, and here's this and this and this, and she kind of broke it apart, and she gave me advice on how to fix things, and that kind of made it a little bit better. Um, And then just, you know, more revisions and then like a proofread, and then finally I just, you pretty much have to design it yourself through like a Word document or any other kind of design program. And once it looks good to you, then you just upload it, upload it with the cover, and... You send away for a proof through Amazon and a few weeks later you get it and you check it and make sure it looks good. And then once you're ready, you go up there, you choose whatever you want to sell it for and you say sell and hope people will find it. Or I'm not too good at the marketing part. So that's <laughs> probably why I don't have too many sales. But uh, yeah.
1: Our tens of listeners will be mm-hmm. clicking on buttons <laughs> in very shortly, I'm sure. Do you, yeah. know, do you know how well it's been selling so far?
2: It sold really well in the first month. Because my friends were really excited, and they all want they all want me to autograph it and say something hilarious and autograph. Like, I hope this doesn't suck, guys, and things <laughs> like that. So it sold really well in the first month, and it's just kind of tapered off from there. But every now and then, I might see a check from Amazon saying, "Oh yeah, you made you know thirty bucks here." So yeah, it's slow going, but it, just the fact that I was able to get this novel out of the way—that's been haunting me for this long. It it's it's huge. It's like a huge block moved, and suddenly all these other story ideas have been flooding in, and I'm, you know, writing them down as fast as I can think of them and develop outlines. So
0: that's great. Yeah. So Amazon, you pay them the thirty dollars uh, to publish it, and that's it. Do Basically they take exactly. any percentage of your sales? Or they anything? do
2: take a cut of the royalties, and depending on like how much you pay them up front, like if you you can pay for a certain package, and this. package that I had paid for it covers for something I can't remember exactly what but it's basically to give them a cut Um, and the $35 kind of opens up what markets you get into because Amazon has all these different channels so you can get into it, it, it's not like they're gonna push it for you, but they'll say, "Oh, if librarians are looking to buy copies of books, you'll be open to these channels. Hmm. You'll be open to, you know, our Amazon.com channel. you'll Be open to this channel and this channel." So I went with that because I thought if I can open it to more markets and people hear of me, then they can just find it easier. Um, you can also go get this. There's like a huge package you can get where they will actually like design your book cover and um, the layout for you, I believe. And They'll even market it and do handle all of that. But I figure if there's, you know, other people out there willing to spend that thousands of dollars to do that, yeah. assuming it would cost that much, um, then who am I to go in there and do that? Because it seems like the market would be flooded to do that. And then, again, your book gets lost. It's, you know, it's like if you worked with any real publishing company, too. It
0: would be interesting to see what kind of uh, effort they actually put behind yeah. marketing an and all and, and they
2: can't prove that either on their website they can say oh you know brian johnson just sold 300 copies of this book last month but i don't know who he is yeah like and <laughs> and they're not going to use like name authors because those name authors have agents and they have publishing companies that they work with so they don't really need to worry about that like their names don't really mean anything to what i'm doing so
0: so it was a it was a a good process to go through with Amazon? You, you were happy easy. with it? was easy. Yeah. Like,
2: that's what I wanted. It was just I wanted to click a few buttons and then go to sleep at night, and that's really all I wanted.
1: <laughs> is your intention to self-publish in the future again or to maybe I try to sell might. it
2: somewhere? I would like to sell it somewhere. Um, I think the first thing I want to concentrate on is just getting, like, a solid idea out and maybe a first draft and then kind of seeing where I think it would be- best go to. So we'll
0: see so people need to go to amazon.com or .ca .com .com you
2: may not find it on .ca is what the I've usually heard that from people
0: and find this book yeah and read Stephanie's one line bio which we I found quite bio. amusing today what, what did it say again um, you pen the your you write books under a single light bulb single your,
2: bare light bulb in my parents basement <laughs> which was very true until recently it was recently. true until recently yeah <laughs> I had my little Ikea desk down there and a lamp and my <laughs> little pen, my hand, I wrote it all by hand and then typed it out painstakingly. shit, yeah.
0: that seems crazy to me. It's
2: easier to do it on the bus than to have like a laptop with you, so.
0: Does technology like the iPad or or a small netbook uh, make the iPads me
2: frighten me, I look at this iPad and I'm afraid I'm going to spill water on it and destroy it, like <laughs> I'm not a technology person. I don't like, know. I, and I find ideas flow better when I have pen and paper. And I've read a few reports that say it's actually better because you're concentrating on developing the words themselves versus just grinding out an idea. So I've, I do find it easier to, to write by hand.
0: I was actually thinking about this the other day. Because I, I sometimes use my iPad in meetings and stuff like that. But that's usually only if I don't have paper and a pen. I, I think I really do prefer writing stuff out. I don't think we're ever going to get away from that.
1: Probably not. No. I hope not, because I'm going to have to
2: stock up on pens. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're going to be the owner of the last pen on earth.
2: Yeah.
1: People will be after you.
2: I had ink now. I had ink.
1: The tragedy is that there will be no paper at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be like But there's
2: p- arms. We can write on ourselves.
1: That's
0: true. You just become a Tear tattoo down
2: billboards. artist. billboards. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Tear down billboards. <laughs>
1: Graffiti electric paper.
2: I read the greatest thing. It's on my back. Just check it out. Yeah. Know? Just check <laughs> this out.
1: Here, here's the grocery list. Yeah. You look like that guy from Memento. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> With <laughs> notes all over your body. Oh man. That's crazy.
0: This is Adam coming to you almost live from the telephone, and I'm talking to Mike Shepard with ScreamFest. How are you today, Mike?
3: I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm very good, thanks. Uh, tell me a little bit about ScreamFest. I hadn't heard about it until your radio blitz uh, in Edmonton this week. What's going on with it?
3: Well, ScreamFest is pretty new to Edmonton. It's only our second year here, and what it is is it's, uh, it's a Halloween carnival. Cool. So yeah. What,
0: what is involved exactly?
3: Oh well, we've got uh, seven haunted houses. We've got carnival games, freak shows, gross contests like bug eating contests—like
0: actual bugs,
3: actual bugs. We'll go through uh, you know ten to fifteen thousand live bugs that people will eat this oh, year.
0: My word! What what kinds of uh, of bugs are we talking about here? Big,
3: small. <laughs> uh it as the night progresses it gets more challenging we start with just little maggots oh. and then you get to superworms, and then i don't even know what these things are called they're these giant blue things that apparently have a very bitter taste and explode in your mouth
0: wow and and uh, so I, i'm sorry to get fixated on the bugs but you immediately captured my attention um what what kind of prizes can people win for eating exploding bitter bugs
3: Well, we have – every night, anyone who goes into the contest will win something, be it a stuffy, a T-shirt, something. And then every night, there's one winner that wins $200 cash.
0: Oh, wow. Decent. Hopefully. That buys a lot of mouthwash, I would say. Yeah. So it's your second year in Edmonton. Um, What made you guys decide to bring it up here in the first place?
3: Well, you know, we used to – have a, a small haunted house that we traveled with Conklin. So we have been to the Edmonton market in the summer mm-hmm. right with um CapEx. Yeah. But we've kind of grown into our own carnival. So that's uh, that's why we decided to come back uh, yeah, now in, in uh, for October's.
0: Okay. So um my understanding is that it's happening uh this coming weekend as well as Halloween weekend, is
3: that right? That's true. We open this weekend, we've got a sneak preview kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, as an incentive to get people down, we're actually giving away $5,000 cash if you come down this weekend.
0: Wow. So what times are you guys open uh, this coming
3: weekend? We're open from 7 p.m. until midnight every night, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
0: Great. Um, now tell me a little bit about five, five haunted houses. That's, that's a lot of terror packed into five little packages. Um, are, these, are these houses themed at all, uh, each one of them?
3: They are. Yeah, we have uh, different themes. We have one that's a hospital called St. Anne's Hospital. Um, We have one that's uh, like Area 51. Uh, We have one called What Lurks in the Dark, which is totally pitch black. Oh, dear. You know, and you just have to kind of feel your way through while people are trying to scare you. Yeah. Um, You know, they go on and on. And we actually on top of those five, we have two charity haunted houses. Uh, One is kind of a maze called The Ghetto, and you have to just find your way through. It's just curtain after curtain and dead end, and you have to find your way through. It's a 3D maze, so you put on 3D glasses.
0: Oh, awesome.
3: Yeah. We've also got another one called Scary Tales, which is another 3D haunted house.
0: So really embracing the uh, every dimension. Oh, yeah. That's great. Now, what about, uh, I mean, the fixture of any festival for Halloween is a costume contest. Are you guys doing anything like that?
3: We don't have a costume contest. Oh. and Yeah, we don't. And, um, well, here's the reason why, is because uh, we cannot, for safety reasons, we cannot allow our customers to come with masks on.
0: Ah, that makes sense.
3: Yeah, right. And so, so we know who our staff are, and we know who's, who is a customer. So we, uh, although a lot of people will come in costume, we, they cannot have masks, and it makes it very hard to have a costume contest. All right. So but we have other contests.
0: Oh, like, like uh, such Halloween. as what?
3: Well, Halloween night, we have a pumpkin pie eating contest.
0: Oh, man, I I would um, win.
3: I think I would <laughs> And, yeah, and the winner actually gets a, a signed poster by Elvira, as well as a bunch of DVDs and $200 cash. Cool. So we've also got a pumpkin carving contest. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we have a lot of contests.
0: That's great. It sounds like there's an awful lot going on. And, uh uh, tell me a little bit about, um, about the whole history of Screamfest. Did you guys actually start in Calgary?
3: We did. We started in Calgary as one haunted house um, right. going back 11 years now. And then uh, six years ago, we came up with the concept of the carnival. Yeah. And adding more than just paying a price, walking through one house and leaving. So now it's an evening out. In fact, we have a beer garden uh, as well. Oh, wow. You know, so if the older people, obviously, if if they want to come in and, you know, have a drink and watch the shows, they can do that. So we've kind of put it all together. and We're growing every year.
0: It sounds really exciting, Mike. Um, Tell me where people can find a little bit more information on ScreamFest.
3: Oh, they can go to our website. Our website has all the information you'd ever want, and that is www.ScreamFest.ca.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you. And I wish you guys all the best and greatest success in this terrifying series of weekends. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Take care, Mike.
3: Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Have you considered sponsoring or advertising on a local podcast? Well, this is your opportunity. The Unknown Studio is looking for advertisers. If you're interested, contact adam at theunknownstudio.ca or scott at theunknownstudio.ca and this space could be filled with your ad. Now, back to the show. We should take a moment yes. at this time, at this break, uh, to thank a very special organization. Yeah, they do great work here in the city. And amongst the chief things that they do is sponsor this program. Yeah,
0: that's probably the most important thing.
1: they Well, do. I, I think that Owen Bryerly would certainly agree with you on that point and that would be the
0: executive director of guru digital arts college that scott just named a drop name <laughs> dropped <laughs> uh they've been sponsoring us since gosh it's been over a year certainly has uh they started with us in june 2010 uh they they've been a huge support of ours um we're even working with them on having our website redeveloped uh gratis which is glorious because we're broke um and uh really happy to support the outstanding work they do here which is to train people to use the internets uh to design fantastic things to do comic book art uh illustrations everything music that, that you could possibly think of music and and even podcasting I'm I'm quite certain they'll be teaching stuff on that very soon so thank you to Guru Digital Arts College So uh what are some of the if if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the ideas for uh future books are you gonna stay in the the horror genre or are you gonna branch out
2: I've always been a horror fan like that's it's usually my go-to genre like I don't mind branching out and reading things like The Help or Satanic Verses and and so on but I my go-to is always the horror section in chapters it's you know ever since I was a kid like I was always reading Stephen King and Dean and. Um, That's just my go-to genre. Like, when I think of a bizarre idea, it usually has to be something, like, really horrific. And if people knew, like, half the horrible things, I think I'd probably lose (laughs) my (laughs) job. It's pretty awful. Um, But, yeah, it's one of the ones I'm working on right now. And I've started writing it, but I've had to put it aside because I got to a block with it. But in recent weeks, I've kind of re calculated a few developments and shifted some characters around. So I'm going to have to give that a reboot. Um, but I guess I can reveal that the working title is, um, Killer Celebrity Island. Um,
0: compelling.
2: It's kind of, it was inspired after reading Battle Royale. I'm not sure if you know that Japanese book. Um, I'm
1: familiar with it. It is the story of a group of students from a Japanese school who get put on an island and told that only one of them will leave. And then they're all given random weapons. Hooray! Wow. Yeah, it's from pretty dark.
2: Forks to shotguns. It's pretty dark. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I highly oh, recommend and if, it. Oh,
1: and if by the end of the time limit, there is more than one of them still alive, they all die. So
2: yeah.
1: go crazy. It's, okay. I need to read this book. It's, oh, it's yes, uh, You have to read it. Uh, it's exciting. The backstory is that it's some sort of population control, as I recall. But uh, And
2: also a way for the government to keep rebellion down. Yeah. I don't know how that keeps rebellion down, but that's what the author went with. So. It's
1: it's very dystopian, sort of near future, bizarro. Let's have teenagers kill each other with crazy weapons. Game show ass. They made a movie too, which is kind of a cult hit. One of my friends is constantly trying to get me to see it, but I have not seen the movie yet.
2: You can watch pieces of it on YouTube and almost I put am, it all
1: together. I am familiar with the story though and the... Uh, yeah in the literary so form. So think
2: of that story. Okay. <laughs> but take the celebrities you hate the most in the world and stick them on the island and say, you know, you're going to kill each other and whoever's the last person standing will get $30 billion and you'll be set for life. And it's, it kind of preys on celebrity greed and how bad you want to be famous.
1: Was this like a... Uh is this like a pseudo-celebrity sort of thing, like reality TV celebrities, or... Yeah, are these
0: fictional celebrities? Or They're re- fictional Okay. Well, you don't want yeah. to...
1: Yeah.
2: When you read it, you will see, like, you know, some of the celebrities are pretty obvious. like Pastiche.
1: They are. Yeah.
2: Like, I, I don't know if I should name names, but if you read it, you'll kind of see, like, certain teen pop stars come out and certain off-the-rails old movie stars kind of come out and...
0: This is going to be awesome.
2: It's so much fun to write and to develop these characters and to come up with, you know, it's it's so heavy on characterization, which is what I find so wonderful about certain books. Like The Stand is probably one of my favorites. And it's so heavy on how these people are characterized and their backstories building up to this event that, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing with Celebrity, um, Killer Celebrity Island is that... You know, you have to have a reason why this guy is is a nut job before he gets to the island. You have to have a reason why this celebrity is going to do this versus doing the right thing. Like, you have to have this all built up and all the explanations that it all, because I'm a a huge fan of things all tying together into a neat little bow at the end, so I really need that to to work out.
1: Decisions should come naturally from the characterization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There should be an internal logic to all of the people in the story.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So how many celebrities are we talking about here? A lot?
2: I think eleven or twelve. Fantastic. There's one I'm trying to fix, so I don't know what her. She might just get end up getting killed a little earlier than I'd expected. <laughs> so she's getting a lesser role than I, she had in the first role. But
0: and uh, how far along are you in writing this? Are you?
2: I was about a third, and then I was kind of thinking I needed to fix a few things because it was just it, it felt forced. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing Bloodsuckers, it wasn't forced. It felt really fluid, and I know that can't be the way it is with everything I write. And, you know, some things are forced because you have to get it out and especially with the first draft. You just have to get it out. Cause once once you've written the first draft, you're you know, the hard work is really done. Yeah. And then you can concentrate on on fixing things and developing things. So
0: Yeah. And that was gonna be my next question is your your process. Um are you one of those people who it sounds like you do outlines, which is probably totally necessary. I
2: never used to either. No? I, I thought it was a waste of time like I always thought if, if it's a real story it should be really fluid and it's just it was a very hippie kind of thinking. Like, <laughs> you know if it's gonna happen it should happen naturally because that's the way the story goes but then when you're writing it you're so lost because you'll reach that point where you're like I don't know where to take this character I don't know where to go but if you chart it all out you ninjas. can figure it out later
1: ninjas attack that's always the yeah
2: answer. just random ninjas yeah black hole sucks out the bad guy kind of thing
1: That that sounds acceptable that sounds literary <laughs> So you. So now you've. If, if ninjas did. jumped in in the middle of Gosford Park, I mean, it would make perfect sense.
2: It make Gosford Park more interesting. <laughs> I liked
1: Gosford
0: Park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was delightful.
2: I liked it when I closed my eyes and now imagine ninjas. That, great. <laughs> Take that old British lady.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess that does make it better. Um, <laughs> so you you develop an outline and then and then, you know, my biggest problem with anything that I tackle is starting, like where to you know, and not saying, not typing or writing something like. yeah, Or it was a dark and stormy night, night or whatever. <laughs> so, so do you find that very difficult or do you just kind of dive right in?
2: I found that difficult with Bloodsuckers because I was like, here's a really cool story, but how do I start this stupid thing? Like I just, there was no way to start it because every time I started it, it would go off the rails so quickly. <laughs> So this one, I just sat down and I'm like, I'm just gonna write a quick rant about how stupid vampire movies are these days and how much baloney it is about sparkling vampires and all this crap, I really hate this. Let's go back to the old school way of killing a vampire. You have a steak, you have a mallet, you have garlic, you go into the tomb, you kill the vampire. Mm -hmm. So it started off as this rant and I wrote it and I was like, this kind of puts me in the mood for where I'm going with this. Like this is kind of the direction I want. Like, you know, here's the basic facts of how you kill a vampire. And then it, you know, it got me started on how the next part of the story is going to go. So when I had finished it, I had just tacked this little rant into the front of it. And I gave it to my editor friend. And I'm like, you know, let me know if this seems a little odd. Like, I just feel like I need to cut this because it just seems like just some stupid rant. <laughs> and she liked it. She thought it was good to keep it. And I thought, you know, if one person, if the only person who, who's read this beforehand liked it, then maybe I should just keep it in there. And I thought about it a little bit and... It seemed like a really good start. But usually anything I write, I need a good intro. Otherwise, I can't get started. Like, it has to feel, like, compelling to keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, can't, I guess that's why I've never written a book. One, I, I think of, I usually think of one idea. I'm like, this is a
1: scene. And then nothing else yeah, comes.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a later scene, but it's, it's a scene. I have a
1: different problem. I think of great characters, and then I have no idea what to do with them.
0: I think you put that's, them on
2: an that's, island. That seems worse.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, that that
1: would be that, torture. It, I just
2: see these characters standing in this like white space and they're, like waiting, like you know, and they're lonely and like we well developed
1: three dimensional characters, no idea what to do with. Do you them. and you give them backstories and everything? Like, yes,
4: my characters that I sometimes think of fantasize about, like they just have, they're like the perfect character. And they, she says, my characters never have a flaw in them.
0: Yeah, they're they're all. Well,
2: like, tell, tell us your vampire one.
0: Before you go on, everyone, this is Ken. This yes. is uh, <laughs> this is Stephanie's
1: boyfriend who's joined us. And, this is my entourage. And he's been literally sitting here the whole time and had intended to not say anything, but felt the need to cut in. We so, and we
0: mic'd him up for just this reason. So
1: please yeah. go on.
4: Well, like the, the one, the one vampire character that I that I, that I had dreamed up of, and I've never written a word or anything, it's, it's always just been he's always existed in my mind is that my idea of vampirism was never a curse but more of a, a more of kind of a, a load-bearing I don't know how do you call it that, kind of like like the, the world where vampires exist like there are other evils that exist as well like you know werewolves and goblins and other monsters and vampirism was actually a power given to humanity to fight these other creatures. That's really like a superpower. Yeah, yeah, like a superpower. But because you know, so in the beginning, it was a kind of a you know, it was like a, an honor to 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 have these powers bestowed on you. Um, but then over time, you know, like as you know, things gone on, you know, as, as time went on, yeah, humanity, were, you know, they, they just lost touch with what vampirism was about, and you know, it eventually became you know, this kind of this curse. But you know, the, this group of vampires. They still stayed true to their true purpose of destroying these, um, you know, other evils that are still in, in the world to keep humanity safe. And the one specific character I had was a, a kind of he was just he was like the perfect character. <laughs> like he um, he started off as like like a like I, I haven't figured out what is his roots were. He was either I I, have, I thought like some kind of like a warring like he was he started out as a warrior, and his his family got destroyed, and then. Um, he got blessed with this, with this, with, 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 with these powers. And then throughout the centuries, I mean, along with his um, basic, um, you know, like martial arts training and, you know, like um, hand-to-hand combat training, he ended up le- learning, um, you know, like modern warfare and like, um, and, and like, you know, uh, firearm training. And then he al- he became like almost like the perfect, um,
0: I don't know. Killing machine. Killing
4: machine to, to kill but these things. that's the thing things, though, right? he is
2: so... He's, Perfect so that when we discuss perfect, developing yeah. a villain so I can help him work on the story, yeah. there's like nothing that can kill this yeah. guy. There's no yeah. weakness. So we like, can't develop a villain like that every, is yeah. that is enough of a, a match for this guy. Because it's like this guy can go out <laughs> yeah. and kill everybody.
4: Like, like whenever I dream up, kinda of these characters, makes him not fun. Almost, <laughs> he, I, I always dream up of like the battle scenes with this guy. He's always like like he'd always prefer like the, like 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 throwing weapons because he can because with with a gun you can only literally he can only shoot one bullet at a time but if you like threw spikes or if he threw knives you can throw like five at a time and his reaction time is faster than anyone can pull a trigger right because he's a vampire because he's a vampire and right? he's just so he's just so awesome right
2: <laughs> <laughs> he just seems so blade-esque to me like whenever we talk yeah. about him, i picture blade like no matter how you describe him i just yeah. see blade and to and me blade
4: i don't like blade yeah, and Blade's already blade is done, not fun right? so
1: you didn't find blade fun no hmm and for the record Blade was a Dompier, not a vampire. What's oh uh, Daywalker He's, you mean? Yes. He's
2: born of a mother who's he human and father who's a vampire. Half vampire, correct.
0: What yeah. and what is that called? A Dompier
2: or a vampirovic in Serbia. There you go. See, I studied something. Oh, wow. That's the only thing I remembered from studying. <laughs>
0: That's really cool. I, I'm just a
1: big nerd. That's how I know.
0: There was a there was a movie, um, a vampire movie with Ethan Hawke, I think, where most uh, of the... Daybreakers or something. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It's fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. And it was... Uh, I, I really enjoyed the concept of that because it was like um, very few human beings left. Uh, and then I can't remember if there was... They were trying to cure vampirism, so it was almost like a disease in a way. I mean, that's the way it was viewed. Because um, some humans didn't want to become a vampire, but in that reality, I was like, "Why wouldn't you bec- want to become a vampire?" All
2: the cool kids are doing it. But
0: then the the result was that um, these vampires needed human blood. Uh, they couldn't they couldn't feed off each other. They needed human blood to survive. So what they wound up doing was really unethically, you know, uh, manufacturing humans and 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 some people were in it for the hunt. But it, it was like this really interesting dystopia. Um, and I felt like they really explained the problem of why wouldn't anyone just want to be a vampire? So it was, it was kind of a cool movie i
1: well, highly recommend. It. an interesting concept of what if vampires took over. Yeah. Well, well, eventually they'd run out of people. Yeah. And then what do they do then? And, and, the that's, and that's the kind of question that sparks a good story. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So
1: work that in somehow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what you mentioned we talked uh, sort of sideways
1: about sparkling vampires. Yeah. And, and, the and then obviously you had a rant at the beginning of your... First novel about sparkling vampires. Clearly you're not a Twilight fan.
2: Well that's kind of weird because I did enjoy the movies. Like I find it, I I also enjoy 90210 with like the melodramatic (laughs) teenage love story kind of thing. So I, I do like the movies but I just can't bring myself to read the book and I just have that problem with anything where I see the movie before I see the book. Like I can't go back and and read it once I've seen it. It's a shame
1: because Jurassic Park is really m- much better than the book or in the book form than in the movie form. And the movie's quite yeah, good. It's okay. Uh, they're, I like. they're
2: both good because they're different enough from each other that you can enjoy yeah. each one.
0: So, so fond of the movies, but you're certain you, you don't want to read it or wouldn't like the books.
2: I would have had to read the books first, I think. Cause I've, I find it, it's, it's, and plus the young adults fiction kind of thing gets in my way too, because mm-hmm. I'm not a young adult and I would read it really fast, and I—I I don't know—I just have a block.
0: It's funny because uh, I was talking to a couple of uh, friends of mine about the Twilight series, and a couple of, of, of older women too, like in there, you know, they, they've already had their kids, and but they—they're reading the Twilight series. And, yeah, my and, moms and, read them, and will readily admit these are not—they're not good books. They're—they're they're terrible, but they're—they're they're these great pulp novels that you can consume really quickly. And uh, one of the complaints that that I heard from one of them was that is it Bella, Bella, the female character? Um, she was like, she, "There's no, she's boring. There's nothing written about her. And then the other yeah. woman was like, uh, yeah, and so I can put myself in yeah. her position and, and be her, and I feel like uh, yeah. I'm more a part of the story. So It's like
4: the male characters are saying, like the male characters are very descriptive. They were very descriptive as who they were, but Bella was very, very bland. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't, it was... It was, it, it was, like they were trying to, I think, like, I think it was an article, we probably, we might have read the same article. That could be. Yeah, it was, she was very, she was very bland, very plain Jane, and it was like, you know, you could describe every woman the way you could describe, the, the way Bella was described. Just, you know, like, you know, um, low self-esteem, low, low confidence, you know, like, you know, nobody likes me, I'm not pretty, and, right? And then every <laughs> woman can, like, almost, re- almost relate to that. In and some, that, that was really way.
0: the
1: only really? description I can version. certainly relate to that. Scott, you I'm <laughs> often you concerned are pretty. that I'm not pretty enough. you're very you're a young pretty. woman with low
2: confidence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so these novels should speak to me. They
0: should. Yeah. And go. yet you <laughs> haven't read them, have you? No, I certainly <laughs> See, have and not. I,
2: and I was a young woman with low confidence and few friends. So I just and I I can't relate to that character. I just can't I just can't relate to her. But I really enjoyed the movies and I just, you know, I just can't see myself getting to that book. But I do like how they kind of change the whole vampire myth, that he can go out in light, but he sparkles. Um, I don't really care for their lack of not killing the vampires because I find that pretty exciting. Well It's uh, like the old movies where they go down to the tomb with the stake and mallet.
1: In Bram Stoker's book, uh, Count Dracula could walk around in the day. He just didn't have the bulk of his powers because he was a creature of the night. So he was weakened, diminished, as it were, but he wasn't instantly vaporized by sunlight, yeah. I love Buffy the Vampire
2: Slayer. That's. And he didn't turn into a Tiffany's counter either.
1: No. Okay, now I'm missing something. Tiffany's counter? The sparkling? Is that what Thinus? you're saying? Yeah. Okay, now I'm definitely missing something. Okay, but I've the got point got is it. that he doesn't sparkle, nor does he turn vaporized. to dust. He just is just a dude.
2: But Nosferatu vaporized in the old movie. He walked down to the sun and... He just phased out. Or did he? Or did he?
0: So so even though uh, you like some elements, some aspects of the Twilight series still provoked a rant. You think that... Um, I
2: didn't set off the entire rant. No. It was just one aspect of it. It was I was just tired of hearing about Twilight every week on some media thing or other. Twilight this, Twilight that. Robert Pattinson got his shirt ripped off. Blah, blah, blah. It's like I don't... He did. This was just, I just had enough of it.
0: Fair enough. It's, it has been all over the place. Are they done with these movies? No, nope,
2: there's they... two more,
1: I think. I Actually, know. I think there's one more. Okay. And then I think it's done. Think
2: no, it's, it's split into two. Oh,
1: they? really? They yeah, did the was... Harry Potter thing with yeah. the last one?
2: They want to milk it.
1: That's what they did with Harry Potter. They milked it. Yeah. No rules. No censors. It's Adam Rosenhart. Unleashed.
0: With Halloween, but a week and a half away, I have a little rant that I'd like to share with you. Something that really irritates me has irritated me since I was a child, even into my teen and young adult years. And it is those teens and young adults who fail to dress up if they go trick-or-treating. Look, there's a cardinal rule here. It's a trick or it's a treat and but you're not fooling anyone if you fail to put on a costume you throw on your fucking overcoat and all you're doing is begging people for candy you know what they call that they call that panhandling and yeah it's a different kind of panhandling and i'm not trying to slag the homeless here but if you're going to go out to people's homes and ask them to treat you to some kind of chocolate or candy delight at least put the effort in that the little kids do people live for this event they They don their Spider-Man costumes, they go out in the blistering cold with a snowsuit on underneath a costume that they have painstakingly selected to try and impress people to give them candy. If all you're doing is throwing on your parka and putting a miserable sour expression on your face and you're dressed up as, I don't know, I came to your door dressed as my little brother because I'm wearing his pants, that's a lousy idea and that's a shitty thing to do to kids on Halloween put some effort into it at the very least if you're one of those old guys who likes to go out and steal people's candy I mean by going to people's doors and stuff you need to at least participate in everyone's expectations for Halloween and that is that you've dressed in some kind of fabulous costume if you can't do that much you have no business being given one of those tiny ridiculously small butterfingers I need for you guys to promise me this if you want candy you're gonna put in the same effort as everyone else. Because that's what's expected of you. That's what people want. And that's what you should do for the good people of Edmonton who are opening their doors to you and giving you free shit. Don't panhandle, earn it. Dress for Halloween, my friends, and dress for the cold. But don't do one without the other. This is The Unknown Studio. <laughs>
1: Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction you need to seek out? The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878.
0: Now, a dramatic reading with Scott C. Bourgeois.
1: Here is the story of the haunted wine box, exactly as it appeared on eBay. You form your own opinion. All of the events I am about to set forth in this listing are accurate and may be verified by the winning bidder with the copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits that I am including as part of the sale of the Cabinet. During September of 2001, I attended an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. The items liquidated at this sale were from the estate of a woman who had passed away at the age of 103 granddaughter of the woman told me that her grandmother had been born in Poland, where she grew up, married, raised a family, and lived until she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She was the only member of her family who survived the camp. Her parents, brothers, a sister, husband, and two sons and a daughter were all killed. She survived the camp by escaping with some other prisoners and somehow making her way to Spain, where she lived until the end of the war. I was told that she acquired a small wine cabinet listed here in Spain, and that it was only one of three items that she brought with her when she immigrated to the United States. The other two items were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. I purchased the wine cabinet along with the sewing box and some other furniture at the estate sale. After the sale, I was approached by the woman's granddaughter who said, I see you got the Dybbuk box. She was referring to the wine cabinet. I asked her what a Dybbuk box was and she told me that when she was growing up, her grandmother always kept the wine cabinet in her sewing room. It was always shut and set in a place that was out of reach. The grandmother always called it the Dybbuk box. When the girl asked her grandmother what was inside, her grandmother spit three times through her fingers, said a Dybbuk and a Kesselam. The grandmother went on to tell the girl that the wine cabinet was never, ever to be opened. The granddaughter told me that her grandmother had asked the box be buried with her. However, as such a request was contrary to the rules of an Orthodox Jewish burial, the grandmother's request had not been honored. I asked the granddaughter what a Dybbuk and a kesselum were, but she did not know. I asked if she would like to open it with me. She did not want to open it, as her grandmother had been very emphatic and serious when she instructed her not to do so, and regardless of the reason, she wanted to honor her grandmother's request. I finally ended up offering to let her keep what seemed to me to be a sentimental keepsake. At that point, she was very insistent and said, no, no, you bought it. I explained that I didn't want my money back, and that it would make me feel better to do what I thought was an act of kindness. She then became somewhat upset. Looking back now, the way she became upset was just plain odd. She raised her voice to me and said, you bought it, you made a deal. When I tried to speak, she yelled, we don't want it. She began to cry, asked me to leave, and quickly walked away. I wrote the whole episode off to the stress and grief she must have been experiencing. I took my purchase, and I politely left. At the time that I bought the cabinet, I owned a small furniture refinishing business. I took the cabinet to my store and put it in the basement workshop where I intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to my mother. I didn't think anything more about it. I opened my shop for the day and went to run some errands, leaving the young woman who did sales for me in charge. After about half an hour, I got a call on my cell phone. The call was from my salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit and she couldn't get out. As I told her to call the police, my cell phone battery went dead. I hit speeds of 100 miles per hour, getting back to the shop. When I arrived, I found the gates locked. I went inside and found my employee on the floor in the corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. I ran to the basement and went downstairs bottom of the stairs, I was hit by an overpowering, unmistakable odor of cat urine. There had never been any animals kept or found in my shop. The lights didn't work. As I investigated, I found the reason the lights didn't work also explained the sounds of breaking glass. All the light bulbs in the basement were broken. All nine incandescent bulbs had been broken in their sockets, and ten four-foot fluorescent tubes were lying shattered upon the floor. I did not find an intruder, however. I should also add that there was only one entrance to the basement. It would have been impossible for anyone to leave without meeting me head-on. I went back up to speak with my salesperson, but she had left. She never returned to work, and after being with me for two years, she refuses to discuss the incident to this day. I never thought of relating the events of that day to anyone having to do with the cabinet. Then things got worse. As I already indicated, I had decided to give the cabinet to my mother as a birthday gift. About two weeks after I made the purchase, I decided to get started refinishing it. I was surprised to find the cabinet had a unique little mechanism. When you open one of the doors, the mechanism causes the opposite door and the little drawer below to open at the same time. It is very well made. Inside the cabinet, I found the following items. One 1928 U.S. wheat penny. One 1925 U.S. wheat penny. One small lock of blonde hair bound with string one small lock of black or brown hair bound with string, one small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters, I have been told the letters spell out the word Shalom, one dried rosebud, one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. I saved all of the items in a box intending to return them to the estate. The family has refused the items, so they will be included in the sale of the cabinet. After opening the cabinet, I decided not to refinish it. I cleaned it and rubbed some lemon oil on it. It was at this time that I noticed there was an inscription in Hebrew carved on the back of the cabinet. I have no idea what it says or if it is significant. On my mother's birthday, October 28th of 2001, my mother called me to tell me she was going out of town with my sister for three days, and we postponed celebrating her birthday together until she returned. On October 31st, 2001, my mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight for more than five minutes when one of my employees came running into my office saying that something was wrong with my mom. When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mom sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how I tried to get her to respond, she would not. She could not. Turns out she had suffered a stroke. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance and suffered partial paralysis, losing her ability to speak and form words. She has since regained the ability to speak. She could understand things being said to her and could respond by pointing to letters of the alphabet to spell out words she wanted to say. When I asked her the following day how she was doing, she teared up and spelled out the words, No gift. I assured her that I had given her a gift for her birthday, thinking that she didn't remember, but she became even more upset and spelled out the words, Hate gift. I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet and that I would get her anything she wanted if she promised to get well soon. So I didn't associate anything that had happened with the cabinet itself, or anything paranormal. Frankly, I don't think I ever even used the term paranormal until this last month. I'll try to make this short now. I gave the cabinet to my sister. She kept it for a week, then gave it back. She complained that she couldn't get the doors to stay closed. They kept coming open. There are no springs in the door mechanism, and I have never found that the doors come open. I gave it to my brother and his wife, who kept it for three days, then gave it back. My brother said it smelled like jasmine flowers, and his wife insisted it put out an odor like cat urine. I gave it to my girlfriend, who asked me to sell it for her after only two days. I sold it the same day to a nice middle-aged couple. Three days later, when I came to open the shop for the day, I found the cabinet sitting at the front door with a note that read, This has a bad darkness. I had no idea what it meant. Anyway, at that point, I ended up taking it home. And that is where things got worse. Since the day I brought it home, I began having strange recurring nightmares. Every time I have the horrible dream, it goes something like this. I find myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust at some point in the dream. I find myself looking into the eyes of the person I am with. It is then that I realize there is something different, something evil looking back at me. At that point in the dream, the person I am with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome, demonic-looking hag I have ever seen. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. I have awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where I have been hit by the old woman during the previous night. Still, I never relate the nightmares to the cabinet, nor do I think that I ever would have. About a month ago, however, my sister and my brother and his wife came over to the house to spend the night. The following morning, during breakfast, my sister complained she had had a horrible nightmare. She said that she recalled having had it a couple times before and went out to describe my nightmare almost exactly to the last detail. My brother and his wife froze as they listened, and then claimed that they, too, had had the exact same dreams during the night as well. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck. It became clear the common denominator was that each of us had had the nightmare during the times when the cabinet was in our respective homes. I called my girlfriend and asked if she could recall having any nightmares recently. She described the same nightmare, same hag, everything. When I asked her if she remembered the date that she had had the nightmare, she said that she did not. Then I asked if it happened to be the night before she gave me the cabinet back, and she said yes. How did you know that? Now then, since my family discussion, it seems like all hell is breaking loose. For a week afterward, I started seeing what I can only describe as shadows in my peripheral vision. In fact, numerous visitors to my house have claimed that they too have seen these shadow things. I put the cabinet in an outside storage unit and was awakened when the smoke alarm in the unit went off in the middle of the night. When I went to see what was burning, I opened the door and didn't see any smoke. However, I did get hit with the smell of cat urine. When I went back inside, the smell was there in my house. I do not own a cat. I never have. I went back outside, grabbed the cabinet. I brought it back inside tried to do some research on the internet. While I was surfing the net, I fell asleep and once again had the same nightmare. I woke up around 4.30 when it felt and smelled like someone was breathing on my neck to find that my house now smelled like jasmine flowers. And just in time to see what appeared to be a huge shadow go loping down the hall away from me. I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I am afraid, and I mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I have been told that there are people who shop on eBay and understand these kinds of things and specifically look for these kinds of items. If you are one of these people, please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do to a thing like this.
0: So, wizards, how do you feel about those?
2: I, I honestly, like, I read another series of books when I was a kid, which I find it is a shame that they didn't do anything with because it, it's a great series. It was, um, I think the first one was Searching for Dragons or Dealing with Dragons by Patricia Reed or something like that. And it was just a great story about this, this tomboy who was a princess who didn't really care about being a princess and she befriends these dragons. And the enemies in this series, I remember specifically, were wizards. Like, the wizards were, like, the douchebags of this universe. So from those books, I have never really liked wizards because I was 10 years old, and this book said, don't like wizards, they're tricky, and they're bad guys. (laughs) And then Harry Potter comes out, and they're all like, yay, boy wizards. And I'm like, you little bastards, I don't trust you. You're an enemy of dragons, (laughs) don't you know? Yeah. But I don't really know much about Harry Potter other than he's a boy, and there's a girl wizard, and...
0: A uh, loser friend wizard.
2: A loser friend wizard. I think there's a rat and there's a lot of guys like named Voldemort and things like that, and I don't really know if they're good guys or not. So. The the noseless villain,
0: Voldemort, he's the villain. Okay. But I haven't seen uh the bird victim. Yeah, yeah, that's what that is what he looks like actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh that's terrible. That's terrible. But cut I, that comment. <laughs> <laughs> well no, but he kinda does, you know, it looks like he's had a skin graft over his whole everything. Um, I actually I, I enjoyed what books of that that I read, but um, and one of the things that I liked about them is that even though they were I guess young adult fiction or, or kids stories, I did feel as though as the as uh, as the characters grew, so too did the way they were written a little bit anyway, and certainly the content and subject matter that they covered. So and I wonder if that's it got because really dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exceptionally dark.
2: I wonder if it's because as J.K. Rowling was writing it, she was getting better at her craft. Like, she was just, you know, writing all these stories. You start to get better. Your vocab gets better. Your structure gets better. And that's why it became more mature as it went on because she was getting more practice writing it.
1: Well, in a way, the characters were also growing up with their audience, too, which I think was part of the intention was to make the stories more mature because the characters were maturing and and the readers were maturing. And in the beginning, the characters couldn't really comprehend the more mature aspects of what was kind of going on in the background, but it was there. And then as they grow up, they begin to be more aware of it, and they realize kind of the danger that they're in the middle. What started out in the first book is just a wacky adventure with friends suddenly takes on a whole new horrifying light five years later when you go, holy crap, we were in mortal danger. Yeah, and not just that, but, <clears throat> but uh, the, the
0: focus, because, of, because the danger changes, suddenly they're having to work with, uh, adults now as well uh, as part of the uh, the battle for what it, Wizard Glory or, I don't even remember, Quidditch. It's something to do with <laughs> football on brooms, <laughs> which is the dumbest game ever. We've discussed this in the past, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, Quidditch is stupid. It's fucking stupid.
4: <laughs> it exists. Three balls, right? And
1: there's only one balls. of them matters because it's worth hundred and fifty yeah, points. The yeah. so the snitch or whatever, the golden snitch. Once yeah. it's caught, the game is done. Yeah. The rest of the game is superfluous. Yeah. Just have yeah. people go hunt for the golden yeah. snitch.
0: doesn't yeah, well, like, everybody just go get that golden snitch? Because it's not their job.
4: I'm sure there's rules for that.
0: It's none that uh, none that J.K. Rowling ever really revealed, yeah. which means she's a little bit I than a as it is bit of it is.
2: like another ball. sport with stupid rules. I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't be good at. <laughs> it's like
0: Quidditch and cricket, just. Don't get it. Do you get cricket?
4: Yeah. It's baseball with a (laughs) (laughs) two-by-four.
2: That you play for like eight hours. Or several days.
0: days. As the case may be. Because I think, we were talking about this at work, I think there's like a relative point system or something like that, and I don't know if you have to win by a margin, or... Anyway, who cares? We were talking about wizards and vampires. Um... So not a fan of Twilight. Have you read, actually, Have any of you guys read the original Dracula novel? Yes. I Actually, the reason, one of the best things this iPad ever did for me was, was force me to download free books, and I read...
2: <laughs> force you. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I wasn't about <laughs> to pay for them. Come on. But, uh, yeah, I love that story. It's a classic. And it's well written. Yeah, and, and the, the film is actually quite loyal to, to the novel.
3: Uh, um, well, the first one. Some but of them. Yeah. Recent.
0: Well, look, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Fairly,
3: yeah. Like
0: the 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 Coppola movie. Was Fairly, that? yeah. Pretty I'd close. Say so. I mean, as close as you can get to a film ad- adaptation,
1: anyway. Especially when you have it starring Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, because the. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> because the, it was killing me. <laughs> uh, apparently, executive meddling took over, and they were like, well, your predominantly British cast is certainly fantastic, but we need some big-name American stars or we're not going to be able to market it.
2: We want it. speed, but with vampires. What can you give so us? So despite
1: having <laughs> Gary Oldman as, the, as Count Dracula, amazing. Brilliant choice. You have to have that be eclipsed by Winona Ryder and... Keanu Reeves. Well, I wouldn't say that that was, there was, I don't think there was any kind of eclipse. They did also <laughs> add in the love story. Yeah. Which was not present that was in
0: the novel. That was Easy the the Hollywood And kind of thing. gross. Yeah. Taking over.
2: But, I don't know, they should, I I think it would have been that much better if they'd just casted, like, Jonathan Harker and Mina a little better, because those roles are really integral to that story, and then when Keanu Reeves is that guy, it's like, it just... It doesn't work for me.
1: Uh, I I will say that I still enjoy the movie in spite of Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder.
2: See, th- th- those are the two reasons why I can't enjoy that movie. I want to because like Gary Oldman is awesome in it, but I just can't. When Ke- I look, I can't even look at Keanu Reeves. I can't do it.
0: He disgusts you.
2: He just he disappoints me. I think. Well oh, that's, that's that's worse. That's he just I disappoints think that's... me really. <laughs>
0: Um, Have you guys seen the Van Helsing? We're totally switching into movies here. The Van Helsing movie with... uh,
1: Sadly. yeah, Yeah, pretty brutal. Ugh
2: i couldn't watch that one because van helsing is an old man yeah. he's not well, he's Hugh not jackman a, and he's
1: not a badass he's some sort of mimetic badass people just assume that van helsing is some sort of ass kicking vampire hunter he's just he's a, guy a scholar that knows stuff he's a scholar he with like 12 degrees yeah. and he gets
2: in botany yeah botany. In, he's
1: he's a modern renaissance man he knows a lot about a bunch of esoteric crap And he uses that knowledge to equip Doctor Seward and Lord Godalming and Quincy Jones and Jonathan Harker to go and slay a vampire. Yeah, he was an advisor, really, basically. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Where did he come from? I never knew what
1: was. He was uh, Swedish, I believe. He was Dutch. No Dutch. That's right. right, That's right. Yeah. Hence Uh, Van Helsing. Van Helsing. You are right. He was Dutch. Yes.
0: Right. So, Stephanie. When can we expect your next novel? Have you set a deadline for yourself? I haven't
2: set a deadline, and I know that I should because that's what got me with the other one. I told myself I would write it within three months, and I stuck to it, and I miraculously did it. So I have yet to set a deadline for it. But once that deadline's set, it'll probably be like a few months after that if I self-publish mm-hmm. it.
0: So. And do you find that um, y- you have a full-time job mm-hmm. as well? Is it... Is it are you ever stricken with an inspiration during the day where you're just like, shit, turn, turn away from the computer, write something down very quickly? Do you find the job uh, is at times an interference and eventually is your goal to become a, a novelist full-time?
2: I think that's every writer's job is to be that full-time novelist. Um, but as for how it I wouldn't say it interferes. I would say if I didn't have a full-time job um, doing something else, then I would sit at home in front of the computer with writer's block. Because I think you need to get out of the zone of being the writer and go out and do other things. Um, a lot of crazy ideas came to me when I was stalking movies at Rogers Video. Like I, you know, if, if you know Scott and I worked together at Rogers Video, you, you might have seen me with like a notepad all of a scribbling something down and I still do that to this day. I hmm. just bring out the notepad, I'm like, oh, here's a thought. I better write it down because I have a terrible memory for things.
0: And how do you uh, how do you deal with writer's block? Have you ever had it for like a significant oh, length yeah. of time? <laughs> how do you get out of that? I mean, I, I feel like because I have never written anything, I have a lifelong writer's block.
2: Yeah, I feel like that was kind of my problem for like, you know, since graduating college is I couldn't actually sit down and write anything because it, it there's always something else that was pressing. Yeah. Um, or the ideas weren't coming and you're just blank. And, you know, when the ideas aren't coming, you have no inspiration. But I think part of what helps is to be around other creative types um, and just be open. Like, people always say, you know, where do you get your ideas from? And they ask this of every writer. And they just come to you. You just have to be ready to listen for them. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're sitting on the bus and you see, like, a homeless guy digging through a garbage can, well, all of a sudden, my mind starts going, oh, maybe he's not really homeless. Maybe he's a spy and he's digging for something. And all of a sudden, I have this storyline going. But... Anybody can think of that. You just have to remember to hold on to these weird thoughts. Yeah. And either it's garbage or it's gold. So embrace the weird. Just embrace the weird. That's like <laughs> that's what I've been doing since junior high. <laughs> it's never set me on the wrong path. So.
0: Right on. Well, we look forward to your uh, forthcoming book, and it, if second. Sorry, yes, second. forthcoming, <laughs> forthcoming, not Fourth, fourth comma, coming. coming book. <laughs> uh, and if you are interested, you can find Bloodsuckers on Amazon.com. Look it up. And right now, it's that time of the show, Scott. Your favorite part of the show? You've got it. The Fast 15. (laughs) Now, because you've never uh, not listened to the show, actually, you've never listened to the show, um, we we do a, a Fast 15 set of questions at the end of each show. We ask... All of our guests, 13 standard questions, and then for each individual guest, we give them two wildcard questions at the end. Oh, uh, too much pressure. So it, it's, it's tremendous. We are
1: about to ask you the same questions that we have asked such luminaries as Mayor Stephen Mandel. Mm-hmm. and um, Linda Steele, formerly of Global Television yeah. Internet. Cool.
0: So you are...
1: You are about to enter the halls of the elite. It's, it's, it's you like, are in august company.
0: <laughs> what? I wouldn't have put it that way, but you're absolutely correct. <laughs> so, so here we go, the Fast 15 with Stephanie Sparks. Number one, your favorite food. These are really hard questions, by the way.
2: I would probably say pizza.
0: Your favorite color. Blue. Mac, PC, or Linux.
2: That I'm using or that I like.
0: That you, you like or that you're using.
2: I like Macs, but I use PC.
0: Does that break your heart, Ken? I Ken, think it does. Ken's an IT professional, <laughs> and, he, and he, works for, he's a, he works for a Mac dealer. So.
4: Well, to we'll each their own.
0: <laughs> Very difficult. There's going to
2: be a fight in the car later.
0: <laughs> Dogs or cats? Cats. Coffee or tea? Tea. Your favorite holiday?
2: The first thought was Christmas, and I don't know why I would have said Halloween, but I'll go Christmas. Okay.
0: Your favorite sport?
2: table hockey oh wait um air hockey air hockey
0: your (laughs) favorite pastime
2: i'd say writing
0: your favorite music at this particular moment in time
2: always van halen
0: your favorite Mm -hmm. movie at this particular moment in time oh (laughs) there's a list i'm sure
2: there's a list uh i'd probably say the help i really enjoyed that one
0: okay your favorite video game
2: the original Super Mario Brothers. We get that
0: one a lot. That's a, go-to. That's, a That's a go-to. One, you know? Yeah, there's, it is.
2: There's fond childhood memories around that
0: one. Oh, for sure. It's a classic. A classic. If you could have one superpower, what would it be?
3: I, <laughs> we,
2: we always I talk about this. It would be the ability to talk to cats.
0: <laughs> a cat? You want to be a cat Specifically whisperer?
2: Specifically, cats. I even said this the other day. I wish I was a cat whisperer, so I knew what my cat was thinking. <laughs> Nothing else. I don't. I want, I don't want to fight crime. I just want to understand. That's a
1: fairly cats. unique, yeah, uh, answer. Actually, I, no I don't other think we've no ever
2: animals. Just cats. Just cats. Yeah, it's very specific. Totally fair.
0: Totally fair. <laughs> uh, Star Wars or Star Trek?
2: I see Star Wars. Okay. But the original, not the new ones.
0: Yeah. yeah. The, what You mean the ones that George Lucas has ruined? Yeah. Yeah. That would not have been an
1: acceptable <laughs> answer anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're wrong. Answer again. <laughs> Just what? that he
2: ruined it. makes me almost want the Star Trek, even though I know very little about Star Trek. But
0: We can change
1: that.
2: I'll go with Star Wars. Okay.
0: So. Uh, you, now we're on to our wild card questions. Our first one, what's the best Halloween costume you've ever had?
2: Little Mermaid when I was in grade two. Wow. Yeah. You
1: set the bar high really early and never dropped
0: <laughs> Good God. My
2: mom made this costume. Um, it had like the fin and everything and a piece that attached to the fin to my wrist. So it looked like my fin was flipping. That's And awesome. she made um, a white, well, white because I'm very pale. It's it supposed to look like my skin and it had like the seashell like bra on it. And then I had the long red wig, looked beautiful like Ariel. So... This is the the same time that we, the same Halloween was like the same day that we moved into the house in Morinville. So we missed the Halloween parade at the St. Albert School. Oh, no. So we missed the Halloween parade at the Morinville School. So it was just the only chance I could wear this costume was trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating in the Edmonton area is you might as well just wear your winter coat and say you're the abominable snowman or something because we had to take my orange and pink winter coat and strap the seashell... Bra onto this ugly coat, and then wear the red wig, and then the fin is under this long coat. And then I'm carrying this bag, and we go up to this old man's house, and he's like, What are you supposed to be, little boy? Thinking I'm like some hair metal rocker, and I'm just like, "It's just I'm a fucking Dude. mermaid, sir.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was disappointing. Best right. costume ever, though.
0: But the, the trick or treating experience was no good. That's too bad, just because yeah. of the cold.
2: Just because of the cold. That happens a
0: lot here. Our last wild card question. In your opinion, what is the scariest movie monster ever?
2: Poltergeist scares me to this day. The ghosts in Poltergeist. Just, yeah. I just, you know, I, I can write about vampires and I love vampires so much, but they do not scare me at all. But you put me in a movie with ghosts in it, like... Oh, the sixth sense ghost. The woman in the house coat in the kitchen where she's screaming and showing her slashed wrist. I just got to chill. Spoiler alert, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just scares me. I couldn't sleep for two nights after I saw that.
1: Ghosts are... uh at the top end of my threshold, I, I think I can take something physical. Yeah, like there's a part of me. It's like okay, it's a vampire. I can comprehend yeah. that. I can take that yeah. guy. Okay, a werewolf. That's okay. I, I could, can run from that. I could find that. some
2: friends to help me kill it.
1: I could get away from a I zombie. Think, like, you know, I could automatic shotgun. You know, I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I could maybe push down an alien, yeah. but uh, a ghost is beyond my threshold and I'm just like "Hey, now I'm yeah. terrified and now I need to take re- a bat to it and he's still
4: smiling at yeah, me. yeah there's <laughs> nothing you can do
0: I mean the Ghostbusters tried to explain it away but you
1: still needed a proton accelerator you, on you your back you still needed a nuclear power plant on your back <laughs> yeah. and the possibility that you might accidentally rip and open and that's reality. why there's
2: no Ghostbusters 3 because they all died of cancer <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's dark
0: <laughs> that is really dark thank you so much for being on the show thank Stephanie you. and Ken thanks thank for you. thank you for joining no us problem. it was great to have you
1: All right. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 56. Our guest, Stephanie Sparks, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.